And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. I really appreciate uh, the messages, the emails that I get about uh, the help that uh, uh, the information on our website uh, has been. Um, I certainly uh, enjoy it when people say and comment about uh, how they look forward to the weekly uh, podcasts. Uh, that's a, that's a appreciated. Uh, I, as well, uh, look forward monthly uh, to information on investing from somebody I have great respect for, uh, somebody who is uh, kind of one of my heroes in this industry. A hero because, to start with, he's very, very competent understands the investment process as well as anybody I know. Uh, he is uh, uh, he's, he's a retired airline pilot, United Airlines. I'm having lunch with him next week. I am anxious to find out, uh, as, as a retired United Airlines pilot, uh, how he feels about what's uh, going on with his old company. Uh, and in retirement, he, he was a man with a plan a long time ago, and his plan was to retire, to have a handful of clients, privately managed clients, which he does, and uh, not not looking for more, is, is perfectly happy working for the people he works for, and he loves to play golf. And in retirement, he splits his time between Arizona mostly in the winter, and uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, mostly in the summer. So uh, George Sisti uh, is, uh, is somebody, as I, I said, I have great respect for. Uh, he does a weekly, I'm sorry, he does a monthly newsletter, and uh, it's called On Course Financial Planning. And uh, facing the future with optimism and courage is what it says here at the top of his newsletter. And when I think of all the conversations that I've had with George about investing, when I think of all the newsletters that I've read, uh, I would say that uh, he definitely uh, is facing the future with optimism and courage. And you're going to hear a little bit of that in just a minute. I called George to find out whether he would be comfortable uh, with uh, us running his articles that he writes for his privately managed accounts. And a lot of people, in fact, he used to write a regular column when they had the retiree or retire mentor page at uh, MarketWatch. He was a regular contributor. Uh, that page is no longer there, so he doesn't uh, contribute on a regular basis, but he does continue to turn out this wonderful newsletter. So we're going to have his articles on our site, uh, but I want to read one to you. I want to read uh, one of his monthly newsletters. I think the information will be every bit as good as anything I, <laughs> I would have shared, uh, but I want you to get a taste of how George thinks and uh, the kind of advice that he gives. 
I'm I'm working on a, a book or a series of uh, of important investment uh, information, and uh, uh, probably half of it will come from the things that I will have uh, picked up from George's writing and just uh, spending time with him. Whenever we have lunch, there is paper and pencil (laughs) or pen because I'm taking notes. He's always got something interesting to share. This is from his April 2017, what he calls Vectors. That's what he calls his newsletter. The headline... The title of the first article is Fake News and Financial Journalism. Fake news has been a hot topic in recent months. The dictionary defines fake as something that is designed to deceive or cheat, not real, counterfeit. Using this definition, fake news isn't a new phenomenon. For as long as I can remember, it has been a regular feature of financial journalism. Most of what passes for financial news is nothing more than opinions and speculations, pure fake news. Fake news is so common in financial journalism that it goes unnoticed. Unfortunately, it harms investors who confuse opinions and forecasts with actionable information. Being on the receiving end of numerous opinions and forecasts is not the same thing as being well-informed. Here are some ways that financial journalism's fake news harms investors. It is relentlessly negative, presenting worst-case scenario for today's real or imagined crisis. It does this because it's the best way to attract eyeballs, ears, and clicks. Michael Batnick, then he has the name of his publication, The Irrelevant Investor, created this wall of worry chart depicting the performance of the S&P 500 index since the bottom of the market in March 2009. Perens, the gain does not include reinvested dividends, which brings the gain close to 300% close perens. Each of the noted events was headline news, most of which have been forgotten. The chart really is, I think, very impactful. Uh, It's called Reasons to Sell, and it starts in March of uh, 2009. And um, it lists many, probably not all, but many of the major things that happened between March of 2009 and uh, March of 2017. For example, just to uh, give you some of the highlights, starting uh, when that market was hitting a bottom in March of 2009, uh, 660,000 jobs lost in March. Total tops 
$5 million. Then in July of 2009, Chrysler and General Motors file for bankruptcy. Then we go forward to the BP oil spill in uh, 2010, followed by uh, the flash crash uh, a couple months later. Uh, then later in the in the early 2011, there's the earthquake, huge earthquake in Japan, and then in July 2011, the S&P downgrades U.S. debt. And then, and then in November of 2011, the European sovereign debt crisis. And then we go into 2012, and uh, the Dow. Uh, only has five positive days in a month for the first time since 1968. That was in July of 2012. Then there's the fiscal cliff talks that that uh, sent the stock market uh, down. Uh, there's the big uh, 10-year rate jump from 25 to 3% that happened in uh, in uh, mid July, uh, mid 2013, you have later that year the U.S. government shutdown. Uh, you have the Ebola crisis coming on. I mean, all these things. And then uh, uh, in uh, 2015, uh, but you've already forgotten that the Chinese stocks fall 45 percent in three months. And there was the uh, the the decline of a thousand points uh, in the Dow Jones, first time ever. And then I mean, it just goes on and on. In fact, it ends on this particular chart with the U.S. election, and that was obviously a surprise. And remember what people thought. That's going to be a huge problem. Well, let me go on now that you've got a kind of a picture of this market, by the way, that goes up and up. Oh, yes, there were some very emotional declines in there, but it generally keeps going up. And at the end of that, uh, of the uh, all of the declines and the increases, the end result is one of the best markets in stock market history. Going on with his article. Each of the noted events was headline news, most of which have been forgotten. Stock market gains aren't linear. They occur in fits and starts and often go unnoticed. But something was happening behind the headlines that caused the market to go up for eight consecutive years. What wasn't reported, that things were slowly improving was the real story. But it's a boring story, one unlikely to attract a big audience, so it went unreported. You didn't need to be an investing genius to have received acceptable portfolio returns these past eight years. Unfortunately, many investors remained in cash the entire time because financial journalism's drumbeat of negativity kept them in constant fear of another market crash. Economic and market forecasts are fake news. There are no facts when commentators talk about the future. They're just 
spouting opinions. No one knows what events are going to transpire in the future or what the market's reaction to them will be. Media pundits, regardless of their academic credentials or years of experience, cannot predict the future. Most forecasts are mere extrapolations of the recent past into the future and contain more opinion than insight. Having long ago lost the ability to blush, financial journalism never apologizes for the damages done by its guests' previous forecasts and recommendations. Investors seek market and economic forecasts, and the financial media will always exploit its viewers' naive desire to know the unknowable. Instead of forecasts, investors should be more interested in history, which reveals how people reacted when events unfolded in unforeseen ways. I doubt that there is any subject more riddled with fake news than personal finance journalism. What percentage of journalists who offer investing advice have the academic qualifications to do so? The financial media employs so many non-credentialed journalists whose columns are often just restatements of previously published unsourced articles. They repackage old, bad ideas that are sure to mislead a new generation of history-challenged investors. If media pundits were so astute They wouldn't be wasting their time giving you investment advice. They'd be investing their own money and making a fortune. Well, just an aside here to to George. uh, That is something that is often said about people who manage other people's uh, investments. And in in fact, I, I think you can do just fine yourself and have the time left over to, uh, to help others. Back to the article. Financial journalism rarely, if ever, mentions financial planning. It always focuses on performance, reinforcing the fake proposition that investing is a timing and selection activity. What to buy now articles appear to have a certain amount of logic behind them. If you accept the fake proposition that outperformance is a legitimate financial goal. But outperformance cannot be your financial goal because there is no stock picking or market timing strategy that will consistently outperform the market. The legitimate goals of financial planning include attaining financial independence, maintaining your desired lifestyle throughout retirement, educating children and grandchildren, and leaving a meaningful legacy to heirs. To achieve these goals, your behavior as an investor, how much you save, your portfolio allocation, how much you respond to the daily noise in the markets. 
Those are more important than the short-term performance of your portfolio. As the number of financial journalism's media outlets has increased, the quality of information provided by those outlets has declined. There's a limited amount of news each day, but the financial media must keep viewers entertained 24-7, even when they've got nothing else to say. So it's not surprising that it offers a variety of opinions and analysis which, although entertaining, are a waste of your time. The financial media is in the business to serve its advertisers, not its readers or viewers. If this wasn't true, they'd say, buy index funds and stop talking. Many investors have been fooled into believing that keeping up with today's financial headline is a prerequisite for achieving their financial goals. But separating the fake news from actionable information is a daunting task for investors. Stocks are long-term investments, and when investors get caught up in the ever-changing emotional excitement created by financial journalism, bad things can happen. The financial media will never admit that it's impossible to make sense out of the day-to-day activity in the stock market. Yet each day they try, and more often than they'll admit, turn their audience into speculators who buy what's hot and sell what's not. Wise investors do just the opposite, periodically taking some profits from their outperforming assets and redeploying them to undervalued assets, thereby maintaining the portfolio allocation contained in their financial plans. Prior to last year's election, the common wisdom offered by financial pundits, dare I call it fake news, was that there'd be a sharp stock market decline in the immediate aftermath of a Trump win. Just the opposite happened, with stocks surging in the wake of his surprise victory. Investors quickly warmed to the idea that a Republican president and a Republican Congress would enact a pro-business agenda that would embrace economic growth and, by extension, corporate profit growth. Fed Chief Janet Yellen summed it up this way during her semi-annual congressional testimony. Quote, I think market participants likely are anticipating shifts in fiscal policy, parens tax cuts, infrastructure spending, um, and a parens. That will stimulate growth and perhaps raise earnings, end quote. Corporate earnings and the expected growth of future earnings have the biggest influence on the long-term direction of the stock market. Optimistic investors are pricing in faster economic growth and higher profits. In this year's first quarter, 
Domestic stocks rose 6% and international stocks rose 7%. Pessimistic investors who have been dismissing the rally have been left behind. The University of Michigan's latest survey of consumer sentiment includes this observation. Quote, Democrats expect an imminent recession, higher unemployment, lower income gains, and more rapid inflation, while Republicans anticipate a new era of robust growth in incomes, job prospects, and lower inflation. Both, end quote, both groups, however, are making the same mistake. Politics and your investment portfolio should be kept far apart. Your portfolio's long-term performance will be determined by economic activity and corporate earnings growth, not politics. In 30 of the past 35 years, the S&P 500 index has yielded a positive rate of return. Notwithstanding the political party in office, recessions, inflation, market volatility, and geopolitical crises of various sorts. Investors should own a diversified portfolio of domestic and international stock funds. Political uncertainty will always create noise and worries that influence investor sentiment in the short term. That's why investors need to maintain a long-term view and own a portfolio with a permanent allocation to stocks that is appropriate for your financial goals and risk tolerance. Here's a little-known fact that your broker hopes you'll never discover. Although the S&P 500 index returned 12% in 2016, there was a large dispersion of returns between the index's best and worst performers. There were 25 stocks that returned at least 45%, and 25 stocks that lost at least 22%. All an active manager had to do to outperform the index was overweight the outperformers and shun the big losers. Yet, according to Morningstar's year-end 2016, quote, active-passive barometer, end quote, only about one in four actively managed mutual funds that invest in large company domestic stocks outperformed their index fund competitors last year. Additionally, according to the report, quote, Roughly half the active funds that existed in this category 10 years ago survived the decade, and just 5.9% managed to both survive and outperform their average passively managed peer. End quote. Visitors to the homepage of the Jackson National Life Insurance Company's website are greeted with this invitation. Experience the Jackson Difference, a company truly committed to your financial future. Jackson National 
is the latest financial firm being sued by its employees in a class action lawsuit for violating its fiduciary duty by using high-cost proprietary funds in its 401k plan. Of the 21 funds offered in the plan, 18 are Jackson National Proprietary Funds. The suit charges, quote, the overwhelming majority of the proprietary funds were virtually identical to funds offered by unaffiliated financial institutions at a fraction of the cost, end quote. Citing Morningstar data, the suit alleges that these funds' fees were above average and that their performance significantly lagged their benchmarks. And George finishes this article with this comment. Perhaps we need a new phrase, fake fiduciary. You see why I like his work? Uh, What I'm trying to do, what George is trying to do, what people who are committed to doing the right thing for investors are trying to do is to somehow help, particularly particularly the do-it-yourself investor or the investor who just won't follow the guidance of a, of a professional advisor, is to help them get the frame of mind that toughens them to all of these forces that we're surrounded by including in the case of Jackson National, think of all those people who work for that company who would, I'm sure, assume that the company is doing the best that they know how to do for the 401k plan that's the financial future of their employees. Well, for some of you, one article may be enough, but I'm going to go on. I'm going to read the second article that came in this month's newsletter. Uh, By the way, these are posted at our site so that if you wish to uh, pass them on to a family member that you you can do that. Again, I think I just think George is 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 uh, he's so good. The title of this article, The Illusion of Wealth. And by the way, uh, I really (laughs) I really am going to encourage any of you who have faced this uh, decision, uh, take an annuity versus invest the money for the long term and take money out of your savings to live on as opposed to having uh, that guarantee every month to have an annuity payment, like a pension. Here's what George has to say. The illusion of wealth. It's been my experience that new retirees who have enough financial assets to sustain their retirement lifestyle often experience anxiety about running out of money. Another left-brained, number-crunching analysis won't remedy this malady, so I've had to develop a different strategy. I'll ask them to close their eyes hold their hands out, palms upward, and imagine the weight of a thousand dollars in their hands. What a thousand dollar feels like. 
Then I asked them to imagine what $5,000 feels like. So far, so good. And when I asked them to imagine what a million dollars or two million dollars feels like, the exercise ends because no one can feel that much money. Most people are more sensitive to wealth expressed as a monthly income because they can relate it to their monthly financial obligations. Few people know or know how to determine if their portfolio's weight, as in a lump sum, will support their monthly cash flow throughout retirement. Recently, there have been numerous articles in the financial media about the benefit of annuitizing the lump sum balance of a defined contribution plan like a 401k or a 403b. A new retiree transfers the lump sum to an insurance company in exchange for a guaranteed monthly payment. That creates a personal defined benefit pension. Alternatively, retirees can roll over the account balance of their defined contribution plan into their own IRA. So how can a new retiree know which is the better option. For this discussion, we will assume that you are a 65-year-old retiree with a million dollars in your 401k. We assume that inflation will average 2.5% during your 25-year retirement and that the discount rate, that's the interest paid by safe fixed income investments, is 3.5%. Would you prefer to receive the million dollars as a lump sum rollover into your IRA, or would you rather annuitize the lump sum and receive $5,000 every month for the rest of your life? Using our assumptions, these two options are financially equivalent. The academic paper, and in quotes, The Illusion of Wealth and Its Reversal, end quote, uses these assumptions in dealing with the question of how people perceive wealth when presented as a choice between a lump sum payout or an annuitized monthly payment for life. The researchers discovered that for lower lump sum values, for example, $100,000 and the annuitized equivalent of $500 per month, that the study's participants were more likely to prefer the lump sum over the monthly check because it seems to represent more wealth than the annuitized payment. At higher wealth levels, example, $1 million, the illusion of wealth reverses. The study's participants were more likely to prefer an annuitized payment of $5,000 per month over the lump sum million-dollar payout. Both groups' choices are based on faulty illusions, illusions of relative wealth, since in both cases, the lump sum and annuitized options 
are mathematically equivalent. The authors of the paper concluded that the relative attractiveness of annuities versus lump sum payouts depends on the underlying wealth levels. The larger the lump sum, the more likely it was that the study's participants favored the annuitized payout because the monthly payments were larger and gave the feel of more wealth. But the larger the lump sum, the less likely it is that our new retiree needs a guaranteed monthly income to avoid running out of money in retirement. A conservative portfolio allocation will likely generate a sufficient income stream to fund their spending needs and still leave a meaningful legacy. There is one huge downside to the annuitization option. Annuitized payments are unlikely to be inflation-adjusted. With 2.5% annual inflation, the $5,000 monthly payment will spend like $3,050 20 years from now. The safety of fixed annuitized income payments is illusory in an inflationary environment. This is why annuitizing a defined contribution plan's lump sum balance at retirement has never appealed to me. That me is George. A retiree who chooses the annuitization option is essentially converting their retirement plan to a 100% fixed income portfolio, one that over several decades will likely be ravaged by inflation. But few affluent retirees factor in inflation when they are presented with the option of receiving what today is a relatively large guaranteed monthly payment. The findings of this study add to my conviction that the average person has absolutely no clue how to finance a multi-decade retirement. The subject material isn't easy to understand, and the math can be confusing. Whether to annuitize the lump sum of your defined contribution plan is probably the most important financial decision you'll make in retirement. It's also a decision that few new retirees can make on their own. Before making the decision, I recommend that you seek advice from at least two financial advisors who have no financial interest in your decision. Don't do business with any financial professional who promotes annuitization but doesn't measure the long-term impact of inflation. I think that's a great article. And let me tell you why these two articles, one, were worth reading in the hopes that you would, you would uh, uh, know about these articles being at our website. And the reason I say that is because many of you 
don't read the articles, but you do listen to the podcasts. But I know what's going to happen to me, and it might happen to you, not probably as many times as it happens to me, but it will happen. And somebody is going to be talking about fake news. And hopefully you'll remember George's article, because it's going to be right there at our site. The title, Fake News and Financial Journalism. My hope is you'll send that article to that friend, and maybe George can help break through that shell of, of, of uh, bad thinking. And the second one, entitled The Illusion of Wealth, about the choice between an annuity and, and, uh, uh, and a lump sum properly invested, conservatively invested, uh, I think this is a killer article, and I'll tell you why I like it so much. George doesn't say, don't use an annuity. He says, don't buy an annuity from somebody who doesn't explain the long-term impact of inflation on that annuity. Well, the fact is, you can buy annuities that are inflation-adjusted, but guess, guess what? They pay out a lot less money. And he also said something else that that might save somebody's bacon. He says, before making the decision, seek advice from two financial advisors who have no financial interest in your decision. Now, that's not so easy, because that means that you need to find somebody who's willing to work for you by the hour and the reason that it's not so easy because is because almost all of the people who work by the hour also are in the business of managing money anymore. That's just, there are a lot of people who have tried to make a living charging just by the hour. And the reality is most of them don't make it and they end up also managing money. So I think George's advice is terrific. But I think you're going to have to understand that you may have to work a little bit or spend a month finding two people who will make that analysis with you. And it may more likely be a CPA uh, who is also a CFP who does not manage money. Those are probably the phone calls to make. Hunting in your area for a CPA who's also a CFP, who will work by the hour uh, and does not manage money, or check out Garrett Planning Network uh, on the internet. Um, Garrett planningnetwork.com is, I believe, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, website. And they have advisors who work by the hour. And you, can t- and you can find out whether they also manage money. And if they do, you can say, nah, I'm looking for somebody who does only uh, hourly. And, uh, and if, if they can't tell you one, then contact the people at Garrett Planning Network and see if you can ask them to help you identify somebody 
who is purely by the hour and doesn't have any conflict of interest. Well, I, I, I hope uh, introducing you to George Sisti and his work will somehow be a life changer for you. It is a life changer for me because my goal is to find ways to help people do better and I'm not the source of all of those ideas. And when I can find people who I trust are working in your best interest, it is my pleasure to be able to introduce you to them. Uh, thanks for listening. Any feedback on this particular, uh, uh, these call, the, the, these articles and the idea of adding George and, and uh, some of his work? Uh, Paul at paulmerriman.com. Let me know. I, I, I would be interested. Thanks for listening. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.